Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Big Randy, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, and thank you to Big Randy of No Laying Up Golf podcast fame for introducing our 1,000th episode of the tennis podcast. 1,000, baby. Whatever will we find to talk about today? (laughs) Thank you, tennis gods, for delivering. We wanted it to be, you know, jam-packed. Yeah. We wanted to be pumped. We wanted to maybe have a bit of aggro, a bit of a story. Um, I think the tennis gods over-delivered for us, didn't they? Hmm, I think that's accurate. Hmm, it's going to be a fun one, folks. Uh, it's it's going to be a bumpy ride, I think. Happy 1000 to you, David. Happy, I don't know, well, do we have an... I, I feel like we should only celebrate the number from when Matt joined us, to be honest, and just forget anything before that ever happened. But that would mean we'd have to wait an awful long time. For Big Randy's intro. Yeah. And we've been sitting on that for a few weeks, haven't we? And we have. We're very pleased to have it. Podcast, podcast cross-pollination. <laughs> yeah, we, we like it. Ma- Ma- Dave, David moonlighted on Big Randy's Trap Door, Trap Draw podcast the other day. Correct, I did. Mm. And it was amazing. Uh, um, Matt and I couldn't be more pumped about Big Randy being on our show. I'm quite pumped. Don't de-pump me. <laughs> yeah, we love Big Randy. And I feel like in tribute to Big Randy, we should do this podcast in Big Randy style, which would be, what would that be? That would be an appreciation for sort of small pleasures in life, wit and insight, and a very healthy dose of cynicism, I think. I can do the last bit, you do the rest. <laughs> um we are going to start by discussing the shock snapping of world number one Iga Svantec's 37 match winning streak at the hands of Elise Cornet. It wasn't even close. 6-4, 6-2. Yes, Svantec went to break up two love in the second set, but Cornet was right back at her. And frankly, it was a, a pretty 
horrible performance from the world number one and a brilliant one for for Elise Cornet, who is absolutely made for these moments. 33 unforced errors from Shontek in 18 games, only seven from Elise Cornet. Some wonderful quotes from Cornet afterwards. She was delighted that that match was scheduled on court number one because, of course, it was on that court that she had beaten Serena Williams uh, at Wimbledon though all those years ago. And, of course, up until today, that was her her biggest ever victory. I'd, I'd suspect that today would come close. And she said, this court is a lucky charm for me. I knew I could do it. If I, I knew if there's a moment I can beat her, it's now on grass. Yeah. And we we knew that, you know, combined with some brilliant tennis and maybe a bit of a, a let up from Shontek, we knew that's what it would take, wouldn't we? Somebody that genuinely believed and didn't go onto the court feeling somewhat defeated, which is what happens when players get as dominant as Shontek has been. And Matt really knew because Matt went all in in the predictions and went for Cornet to beach Fiontech in the newsletter last night. I mean, how? Thank you for bringing that up. David. How did you do that? How? It's not his one thousandth episode, David. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I was. I am interested to to work out what made you go from that. Apart from the enormous points haul that it might get you, and it did get you. But you know. It, Catherine's outlined what Cornet brings to the table and by the way I did find it very amusing when she herself brought up the fact that she'd also beaten Serena Williams on this court that's how good she is but you know it's it's a, a bit of a a roll of the dice to go f- for Cornet in this one what what made you do that well it was a combination of things really I think seeing the way Igor Svantec was playing in the first two rounds here was extremely unconvincing. You know, I just didn't think, okay, I predicted her at the start of the tournament to win the event just because I thought she was the most likely individual. But in the first two matches, I just thought, I don't think Ia Svantec's winning Wimbledon playing like this. She, she was making a lot of errors. She didn't seem comfortable on the grass. And I was kind of just waiting for someone to come along and be able to beat her. And I did just think Cornet is such a likely candidate to cause an upset, partly because, as we've pointed out, she has literally done it before on the same court in the same round against Serena Williams eight years ago. And she is so infuriating to play against because she's such a good competitor. She will hone in on weaknesses uh she will not let go if she thinks she's got a chance she will compete she's good in defense she's good in attack um and i actually asked her in the press conference you know what makes you good for an upset you know you've done this before why are you an upset player and she said what it is is that when she's the underdog in a match she doesn't get distracted by anything you know she says that sometimes when she plays she can she can look around her and things can bother her. She is, quote, a drama queen for the people. <laughs> and yet when she plays... Get it on a T-shirt. When she plays someone like Sviontek, she knows that her only chance in the match is to be hyper-focused and to just, you know, take it to her. And that's what she did relentlessly throughout the whole match. Never, never gave up. Um, and I just think it's amazing that Cornet has had, in her words, her best ever Grand Slam year. You know, let's not forget she reached the Australian Open quarterfinals, first time she'd ever reached the last eight of a slam. And she's been playing slams for a very long time. And now she's beaten Sviontek. She's done this in the year 
where she said it's going to be her last. You know, she sort of clarified that today and said she thinks she'll go on to next year's French Open. But she said it's precisely because she has said it's going to be her last year that she thinks she's having these results. She thinks she's completely liberated and free on the court, taking everything as it comes. And she's got such a good attitude at the moment. I just really felt like she was a really tricky match for for Sviontek for all of those reasons. She saw Joe Wilfred Songa's retirement ceremony mm. on Philippe Chatrier this year and thought, I want me some of that. <laughs> I want I, to be I want, more than Jill Seymour. I want, <laughs> I want everyone I've ever met to have T-shirts with my face printed on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, she, it, this, it was, it, it was the nightmare draw really for Iga Sviontek, wasn't it? Because she hadn't had time to play herself into form and Cornet's just, you you know your classic banana skin. I'm in this still kind surprised of though. Are I'm, you? Yeah, it's Igor Sviantek is on that run. See, you your view was you're waiting for somebody to knock her out, given the way she's playing. Mm. I was waiting for her to click into gear. Honestly, I was, and I didn't see the first set. I went, I went over to there on court one, and then I s- proceeded to spend the next five hours <laughs> literally sitting in the same yeah, it seat. it turns out David is a, a robot that doesn't need to pee. Yeah. That's and, something I learned about him <laughs> 1,000 episodes in. Me and Muhammad Leali. Yeah. We can, I, 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 could, I can do the umpire's job, that bit of it anyway. I couldn't do the concentration bit. <laughs> um, but I'm sitting there and I come in, she breaks for two love. Shantek, second set. Okay, here we go. And then... I would say she played some of the worst tennis I've seen all week from anybody for the rest of the set. I mean, she was she was missing rallying balls into the tram lines, and I don't, I don't. I mean, you, you guys, I'm I, I'm sure we're across the press comments. I, I was just sat in my seat for the next <laughs> four hours, but I'm watching it, and uh, I certainly am not saying she's she was tanking, but it was they were almost tanking type shots, like she just couldn't play anymore she'd hit the wall she just came across as a somebody who's hit the wall there was kind of a suggestion of uh tanking in one of the questions you know it was it was a bit of a leading question and um Sviantek was quick to say no it absolutely wasn't tanking um she used the word confused tactically she said she didn't know what to do she's she, she's spoken a lot this year about with her new coach being more aggressive and She's trying to transfer that to the grass, but she's also trying to hit flatter on the grass. And that combination of trying to be aggressive and hit flatter was just leading to so many unforced errors. I mean, even in the rounds she did win, as I said, I was thinking, this is not very good tennis from Shivante. I don't think she's figured out how best to play on, on this surface. And I kind of wanted to ask, I didn't get time in the press conference, about whether... You know, obviously a big topic at the moment is on-court coaching. And, you know, the WTA has this sort of sideline off-court coaching at the moment. The ATP's trialling it soon. Grand Slams have never had it. I, I wanted to say, if the option had been available to you today, do you think you would have accepted some coaching? Because that's what it sounded like. It sounded like she was confused, didn't know what to do, and just needed a, a kind of word in her ear. Um, but she seemed a little bit disappointed in, in herself that she hadn't, figured it out for herself I think but you know I mean honestly I think we should probably take a moment to appreciate the streak I mean Mm. 37 matches 
I think, the joint longest streak in women's tennis since 1990. It's elevated the sport. It's lifted up the sport in these last few months. And it's taken in a lot of different conditions, clay, indoor clay, hard court, different types of hard court, and then culminated in a slam. It's been amazing. And she has separated herself from the rest of the field and I'll say what I said the other day about Alcaraz I just love that tennis has these natural defenses and you can't just go onto the grass and still be the best player the grass is something which is a bit of a leveler for for her compared to the rest of the field and I think that's I think that's exciting for the sport as well that's such a good way of putting it she's elevated the sport with this streak and she's also kind of saved the sport I think by and I'm sorry to to, to mention the the absence of Vash Barty as we that was one of the um d- drink a shot uh <laughs> options on the uh tennis podcast drinking game that was lovingly created by a few of our listeners you have to have a drink whenever anybody um qualifies Iga Svantec's brilliance by mentioning the absence of Ash Barty and I'm not qualifying it in this instance um, and I, or I certainly don't intend to the, the way she stepped into that void is sort of superhero-esque really because women's tennis was at risk of having a period that people would have viewed in the same way they viewed that sort of Safina Yankovic Wozniacki period of, you know, world number ones that people sniped about and suggested weren't worthy number ones. And, you know, they might have been right, they might have been wrong, but there was risk of a period where women's tennis went backwards a bit, certainly in people's perception. And Iga Svantec saved the sport from that, I think. And it's, it's incredible what she's done yeah I, I it's for that reason that i'm a bit sad that she's gone out today because i agree with everything you've said but wimbledon gives you another platform and another audience that you can reach and and sell that uh story to and because she's gone out in the third round there will be the the people who say yeah well, she did all that on clay but she's not that good really because she couldn't do it at wimbledon obviously we know that's nonsense in terms of um, the, the generality but but I and I, I do feel she hit the wall I actually think the confusion is a very good point and because she's had so much success by trying to go for it and be aggressive actually she needed to to dial into a bit of ash Barty ability mm. to just sort of stabilize go into a I mean, Ash has got the the slice that she can just start getting a rhythm with. And, you know, and look, she's had matches as well where it's just not happened for her. But um, I, I have no doubt Shantek will come good again. But I am sad that she didn't mm. have a real run here. Yeah. Nothing against Cornet. Fair play to her. But, uh, you know, just on a, a sort of personal level. Cornet will now play Isla Tomljanovic in the fourth round. Tomljanovic beat Barbora Krucikova in three sets. Goodness wow. me. She I didn't know to- that. Yeah, she she really had to pull all day, this David. pull this one out of the bag. Um, Tomljanovic apparently worthy of back to back round fours at Wimbledon, but not worthy of the backhand list. Correct. Mm. To quote Venus Williams, uh, her backhand doesn't get my heart beating in the same way as some other backhands. 
Venus Williams didn't say that about backhands. And we will we will be coming onto those backhands in due course, but and we'll be coming back to the women's draw in due course. But I do feel like we should probably stay on court one for a bit, just as David Law did earlier without peeing for five hours. (laughs) Let's stay on court number one, the scene of the circus for around about three hours earlier on this evening. Nick Kyrgios defeated Stefanos Tsitsipas in four dramatic whirlwind sets of tennis. Where do we start with this one? Oh, I was think, wondering exactly the same thing. You know, it's, but, I mean, should we start at the start? Or we could start at the end and sort of <laughs> read out the press conference quotes and go backwards from there. But... I mean, we. I mean, we were less than an hour ago. We were in those press conferences. This is this is all fresh in our minds. We are still we're still processing. Quite frankly, it it was a lot. I feel like I need therapy, curious therapy, and Matt, in the absence Matt needs of that, a lot of Billy Jean time. In the absence of that, I've got Billy Jean, who is being an excellent therapy dog right now. <laughs> she knows what's required. She does. Where do we start, folks? Well, David, you were on there from ball one. Yeah. So I, you start. Look, I do, I do think it warrants some some discussion from start to to, to end, really, um, because it was a it, it was a wonderful atmosphere at the start. It was crackling between the two of them because Kyrgios was was pretty much dialed in from the start. Very interesting experience to watch three and a half hours of, of Nick Kyrgios without knowing things he's saying because I haven't got the TV coverage. Couldn't hear the dialogue with umpire, with opponent, with crowd, with box, all those sort of things. And I think that that would have given me a different opinion of what I'm watching to some degree. I, I, and that's what I, I love about the in-stadium experience. I get a certain view and then maybe I'll go and watch it on TV or listen to it on radio and get a slightly different one. But my my own personal view was that in the first set, he was by far the better player. He was racing through service games comically quickly. You know, he he would he was spending even less time between serves than normal. He was just standing there saying, give me a ball, bang. Give me another ball, bang. It, I, I decided tonight my favourite thing about Nick Kyrgios is how quickly he plays. It's, it's really it's brilliant. appealing mm. in the stadium. You can tell the crowd, are, uh, there's a lot less downtime in the crowd. Mm. There's a lot less looking around because... He's just rattling through these games, and I think that yeah, they you're they not didn't... Glan- you're not glancing down at your phone. You're no. not checking Twitter. People were warming to that, um, and actually, there was already a little bit of irritation between the two because you know they weren't playing at the same pace, they, and, and there's just that little bit of tension that that's caused by that. And so, Kyrgios is racing through these service games, tossing the ball down the other end. Sitsipas's service games are, are rather more of a saga, and <laughs> and and I I just felt that. Kyrgios was so loose and he was hitting some beautiful shots, some really ill-advised ones that, that were over-elaborate or he was trying for the circus drop shot that wasn't on. But generally speaking, he was just playing really well. And yet he lost the set. He lost it on a tie break. And he came very close at the end of that set to losing it because he something irritated him. Uh, I think there was an overall. There was a, and he got irritated and... Uh, he 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 couldn't stop talking at the sort of six five sit down. It goes to a tie break. He manages to serve into a tie break, and then he loses the tie break. And actually, Sitsipas I think is is a better player on grass than he used to be. the The, the gist of his game now is is getting there. Um, and I thought Kyrgios did a really decent job in the second set of of not 
tail spinning there. He could have used that moment as the reason the world's against me and, and gone off the ball completely. And instead, he, he turned that around and he actually won the next two sets. But those two sets were so full of incident and irritation and pettiness. Um, and again, I couldn't hear what was being said, but he's yapping all the time, Kyrgios, at people. And and I I personally can't stand the way he talks to umpires. Uh, and, and I've watched it for years and, and often thought if I was his opponent and I heard things that Kyrgios says to the umpire, I would want to intervene and say, don't talk to him like that. Or don't talk to her like that because it really bothers me. Um, and uh, now I don't know what set sits a pass off, but something got to him because he took a couple of full blooded forehand drives unnecessarily at the body, directly designed to hit Kyrgios. Um And you know, and and just just to confirm that he was asked about, he was asked about it in press. And he said, I was aiming for the body of my opponent, but unfortunately I missed by a lot. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he, he got, I mean, he got several warnings. One warning he got, Sid Sebastian, when he lost, I think, the second set. He got a warning for smashing a ball away in frustration. And, I mean, there's a big argument that he should have been defaulted for that. And to, I think a lot of people see he, he recklessly smashed the ball without really knowing where it was going. And it ricocheted into the crowd. Um, I didn't actually see the replay, so I don't know who, whether it hit somebody or not. Kyrgios was saying after the match that it hit somebody in the head um, after it had rebounded, and and he was he was having it out with the umpire and saying that should be a default. And obviously, the the gist I was getting was, if that had been me, it would have been a default. You know, usual Nick in those situations. Um, but yeah, the, the the tension, Catherine, you came and sat with me, I think, probably at the end of the second set or somewhere around there, maybe into set three. And when he was going for those body line forehands that no, weren't... the start of set two. Start of set two. Mm. That, the atmosphere was... You, you got the sense that this could get really get out of hand, mm. actually. And the interesting thing was that when Sitsipas started to do that, Kyrgios stopped doing it. He actually started to play within himself. I noticed he he gained a kind of he like he didn't react to these shots at all. He didn't kind of like say, "Do you want do you want to go then?" or anything like that, which some people would. Um, he was doing other things, but but that that was quite interesting. It almost seemed to focus him a little bit. The fact that Sitsipas lost his mind uh, with him. Um, I felt the tennis remained good. I think Kyrgios's level was was exceptional. Um, attitudes and opinions of what went on out there vary, and I, and I feel conflicted because in the stadium I was buzzing. I mean, it was exciting, but it was also uncomfortable. Um, it was described on on our Twitter like two young lads who've had a, a bit too much cider, sort of circling each other in the car park, and uh, and I thought. Well, yeah, I know what that. I know what you mean because it was it was uncomfortable. You got the feeling like this could be really unpleasant. Um, then it settled down into more of a match, um, but Kyrgios had got the upper hand by then. And and I I do think he's in fantastic form. I don't think he faded physically at all. And this went into a fourth set tiebreak, which he won. And um, and in the end, he was a worthy winner. But. You know, it didn't. It didn't end there. It went into the press comments. 
Boy, did it go into the press conferences, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto those very soon. Just, just to pick up on a couple of things you've said, David, should we talk about the incident of Sitsipas hitting the ball into the crowd? Do we think he should have been defaulted? I mean, as far as I see it, I think the rule still allows for some discretion there, doesn't it? I just think it shouldn't. I mean, in my opinion... That should be a default. If you if you hit the ball that recklessly into the crowd, you should be gone. And I do think Kyrgios has a point there. It's just the rule as it's written at the moment does allow for mm. the umpire to sort of decide. And it's it, it's it's a grey area where it should be black and white. If, I think. Can I ask if if somebody smashes the ball into the into the air, you know, like they're trying to get it out into the stadium or whatever, uh, out of the stadium, and they get the ball abuse warning but if that lands in the crowd or if it hit the the stanchion and bounced into the crowd should that be a default it, it, it's all about control isn't it it's about recklessness it's about whether you're in control of yourself and the racket and the ball um at at the at the, at the time of doing it because these are professional tennis players if they if they're in in control of where a ball's going they are able to control where a a ball and a racket is going. I think that's the crucial distinction. It's it's recklessness. And of course, you know, recklessness is open to interpretation, but it, it ought, I agree with Matt, it ought to be less open to interpretation than it mm. is now. It's a, it's a deeply unsatisfying uh, rule at the moment where it's all about s- sort of the um, incidental outcome Mm. it's luck it's based it's based on luck you know Djokovic wasn't aiming for the line judge's eye but it happened to hit the line judge's eye had it got gone two inches in a different direction he'd have been fine probably won that US Open but he should still have been defaulted in my view I think is is what we're saying and there's it, it without question the problem is worsening incidents like this are becoming more and more frequent and Thus, a tightening of the rules and their application is is required without question. Yeah, that's where I come down on it as well. And then just to pick up on the point about Kyrgios' tennis, I felt like he made a step today in terms of his tennis because to me that's probably the best I've seen him play while there's also been a circus going on around him that obviously he is contributing to and helping to create as well. But so often that that throws him off his game. And actually, I thought he was outstanding for the majority of the match, certainly what I saw. It's the first time he's beaten a top 10 player over five sets in seven years. Wow. It was Milos Raonic at Wimbledon in, in 2015. He also has one other top 10 win over five sets, which was Nadal at Wimbledon the year before. So it does feel like he did something different today by winning this match Uh, Mm. and there were bits of the tennis that I absolutely adored like I I really think that casual tennis fans would have loved this match people were going crazy for it in the stadium some of the rallies the big serving in crucial moments where he's break point down and hold serve in a blink of an eye the touches at the net a lot of the simmering tension between the two I felt was adding to the match it was it was good I, I liked those bits um there were bits I didn't like as well and you've laid them out a, a lot of it is is Kyrgios's attitude towards the umpire and the constant constant 
kind of verbal abuse that he's giving the umpire. I, I just don't like that. And that clouds how I end up viewing the match. And then we get into the press conferences as well. But I just I just wanted to say that on kind of Kyrgios's tennis, which absolutely was brilliant today. Yeah, it was. I agree. And, and on the... I agree that was totally the best I've seen in play was bringing the circus because usually the circus is a deflection from losing. It, sometimes it's preemptive. Sometimes he starts it after he's, after he's begun losing. And f- I feel like it's his psyche's defense mechanism about losing and so the fact that he he kept up the tennis level and as you said David almost almost knuckled down further after the circus rolled up into town was pretty impressive actually now the press conferences (laughs) let's first of all Tsitsipas came into press first he didn't come straight in because Rafael Nadal was impressed. Whether he would have rolled straight in had he had the opportunity, I don't know. But there was no question he had to go into the main room because everybody wanted to attend these press conferences. So he had to wait. Um, he was the one to introduce the word circus. He did that in his in his first answer. Um, and just to address first off, this wasn't the first question he was asked, but a few questions in he was asked about the the ball abuse warning that was he was given, hitting the ball recklessly into, into the crowd. And to his credit, he was um, pretty um, profuse in his apology for that. He said, look, I have to say it was really bad from my side. I've never done that before, throwing the ball outside the court in that way. I did apologise to the people. I don't know what went through my head at the time. He said, I didn't hit any people. I did hit the wall, thank God. But for sure, I'm never doing that again. It's my responsibility for sure. And I've got a lot of time for that. I I, I share Matt's view. The, the rule should be clear. It should be, a, it should be a default. But things happen in the heat of the moment, in the heat of battle, especially in a match like that. Not everybody is going to behave perfectly all the time. You know, see Daniil Medvedev, he's he's another one that's pretty good at coming in and holding his hands up to it. And I've I've got a lot of time for that. So that's that, you know, by and large dealt with. Mm. Agreed. I, that was absolutely my take as well. I think it's really important to own mistakes. Yes. Especially of that type, if you're going to stamp out this recklessness of smashing balls around. Mm. Absolutely. Now on to other things that Sitsipas had to had to say, and he clearly went in there knowing that he wanted to get this out. He wanted to say how he felt about Nick Kyrgios, and yes, it obviously crystallised tonight and was exacerbated tonight. But this this was an accumulation from Stefanos Sitsipas. He described him as a bully. He said it's constant bullying. That's what he does. He bullies the opponents. He was probably a bully at school himself. I don't like bullies. I don't like people that put other people down. He has some good traits in his character as well. But he also has a very evil side to him, which if it's exposed, it can really do a lot of harm and bad to the people around him. Myself... When I see other people disrespect me and don't respect what I'm doing from the other side of the court, it's absolutely normal from my side to act and to do something about it. What else did he go on to say? I mean, every line from this press conference, I'm scrolling through it now and I could read out every single line. But 
he said, I asked him at the end, you know, take away the circus, just the tennis. What do you think the result would have been tonight? And he said, it's difficult to say. I don't think he can play without having a circus. It's just the way he likes things being done. He likes things on his own terms, his own way. He just always gets away with it. I spoke to the umpire briefly telling him that, you know, it's really crossing the line in many ways. I do understand he got a code violation for something he did. I remember one or two times walking up to the line umpires, walking up to the referees. So it happened once, twice. It just feels very messy. He said, I wish we could all come together and put a rule in place. I don't know, something about talking. Why would you be talking while you're playing? It makes no sense. You're out there to do your job. Tennis is the most important thing that we are doing out there. Every single point that I played today, I feel like there was something going on on the other side of the net. I'm not trying to be distracted by that because I know it might be intentional because for sure he can play other way. And that's his way of manipulating the opponent and making you you feel distracted. There is no other player that does this. There is no other player that is so upset and frustrated all the time. It triggers it so easy and so fast. I really hope all us players can come up with something and make this a cleaner version of our sport. Have this kind of behaviour not accepted, not allowed, not tolerated and move on better. It's it's very strong, isn't it? Mm. And, And very... Well put, he, very considered. He, he, he can be a difficult press conference to attend, Stefano Tsitsipas. But tonight, he was measured, and then he was strong. I mean, to 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 call out what he sees as bullying behaviour is right up there in terms of strength of opinion after a match like that. And you know, you'll come on to what Nick Kyrgios had to say in response, but. I've watched Nick Kyrgios a lot over the years and watched the way he's spoken to umpires and I regard it as bullying. Whether he intends it or not is another matter, but that's how it comes across to me. And uh, I applaud Stefano Tsitsipas for calling him out. I agree. Whether he, was, whether he bullies opponents is, is less clear to me. Um, but he certainly bullies umpires and officials, and increasingly so. And it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. It makes me deeply uncomfortable. I I was able to really enjoy the match today, exactly as you said, David, because we were sitting in the stadium. We weren't hearing what he was saying, and I was sort of able to, to zone it out. And the, the aggro that we did witness was mostly the pantomime stuff. Got to hear loud and clear Nick Kyrgios saying good shot when Sitsabash shanked, shanked a backhand out of court. And it was kind Love of funny. That. You know, Love and, that. And, and I think that's probably one of the reasons the crowd stay so fully on Nick Kyrgios' mm. side in that moment because we can't hear it. We can't hear how awful he's being to an umpire sometimes. And I think if the crowd could hear it, they would boo. They would I not so. accept well, that. I, I really believe that if cheer. they knew what was going on, and I don't necessarily mean tonight because I don't know what, what he was saying, but things I've heard in the past, I reckon any decent-minded person in a crowd is thinking, that's not on. And I asked him about that, Nick Kyrgios. I said, look, you, because you, you, Kyrgios was making a big deal of the the code violation that Sitsipas received for the for the ball abuse. And, you know, we've touched upon that. Not okay. Um, and I said, look, you both received code violations this evening. Sit to pass has profusely apologised for 
for the offence that that got him his his first uh, code violation. Um, do you think that you had any behaviour that warrants apology tonight? And you know, it was like a malfunction occurred. He's he's simply not capable of admitting fault. I don't think, and that is a very crucial difference. I don't between... think he sees fault. He can't. No. He can't process it. He doesn't think. He no. didn't think he did anything wrong tonight, and, and hasn't done for for a long time. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time Nick Kyrgios fronted up to something. You know, when when he smacked the ball very very close to a, a ball boy after losing to Nadal at Indian Wells as he was leaving the court. He somehow, in the press conference after that, managed to turn around, turn it around onto the media. You know, it's it's pretty rich what he was saying tonight about Sitsipas, um, and the fact that he should have been defaulted right as he might have been. Um, there's a deep irony there, which he is pathologically unable to unable to acknowledge. Sitsipas's comments were put straight to Nick Kyrgios. They were read back to him, although. I rather got the impression they didn't need to be read back to him because Kyrgios had been watching that sit-to-pass press conference live and, as I understand it, with the Netflix cameras on him as well. All right. Mm. And he, you'll be surprised that he, he denied any bullying. He said, I'm not sure how I bullied him. He was the one hitting balls at me. He was the one that hit a spectator. He was the one that smacked it out of the stadium. I didn't do anything. I was actually like, apart from just going back and forth to the umpire for a bit, I did nothing towards Stefanos today that was disrespectful. I don't think it was not drilling. I was not drilling him with balls. Um, He was asked about the accusation of bullying and he described Stefanos Tsitsipas as soft. Um, he said it repeatedly. And and that was a portion of the press conference that I really felt icky about. I hate... I mean, the whole, the whole match and the whole tone of the aggro, particularly from Kyrgios' side had a real edge of toxic masculinity to it for me. And that comment about Sitsipas being soft has a cutting edge of toxic masculinity about it to me. And it, yeah, I found that pretty vile. And and I've, I find it quite sad because he is somebody I, I, I think has gone through tough times, Nick Kyrgios. And uh, and has suffered himself in all sorts of situations, um, and doesn't appear to have any empathy for anybody else though, who who might be suffering maybe as a result of his own behaviour. What about actually thinking about the consequences of what you're doing rather than just judging him like that? Um, I I found that really quite sad. Yeah. Look, I mean. <laughs> As usual, there was some sense in uh, Nick Kyrgios's press conference. He had a few good points. There was also some absolute uh, nonsense and some unpleasantness. Um, all, all is to say that he thinks he can definitely win Wimbledon. I like that he's saying that. I really like that he's saying that. Um, and he thinks the only reason he hasn't won Grand Slams so far is because he doesn't like travel. Mm. That was That was the note that we ended the circus on. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, Nick Kyrgios moves on to round four of Wimbledon, where he will face Brandon Nakashima. I, I, I kind of want to say good draw because I think mm. it is a good draw. But actually, I mean, he's playing well. So, um, and and there's a match that Kyrgios is supposed to win. So there's a different pressure. Yeah, absolutely. So Kyrgios Nakashima in round four, staying with the men's round four matches. Rafael Nadal through finally a straight setter for for Rafael Nadal. As if he knew something was going down on court one and thought, I've got to grab some attention here and introduce some accidental aggro. <laughs> into the mix and then swiftly apologised for it yes because for so long it was such a contrast you had this to use the word again circus going on on number one court and Nadal just ruthlessly and efficiently beating Lorenzo Sonigo kind of just to perfectly illustrate why he's the guy with 22 Grand Slam titles you know despite all the talent that's on display as well on court one and then yes there was this weird moment where well, firstly, the match was stopped at 4-2 in the third set and they then put the roof on. And Nadal was really upset about this. It was a weird decision because they kept playing on court one. I mean, it was getting dark, but it 
It wasn't now or never, dog. That's strange timing, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. Four two, it's not a change of ends. Um, Sonigo was really pressing for them to put the roof on, whereas Nadal, I think, was thinking, I can finish this match without the roof, probably. Um, and then he was also... It seemed that he was annoyed at some of Sonigo's grunting, which was kind of extended grunting, kind of in the hindrance territory. Um and yeah, he, he beckoned him over to the net and spoke to him about it. And then there was a, quite a lot of tension between the two players for the rest of the match. And then the handshake, which we should say the handshake between Kyrgios and Tsitsipas was missed by the TV cameras. I think everyone was just waiting for it on the edge of our Hashtag here for the handshake. Literally yeah. here for the handshake. It was, it was brisk, folks. <laughs> Um, and then the, the, the Nadal-Sonigo handshake ended up being quite lengthy. You know, they spoke at the net for about a minute or so. Nadal really sort of earnestly trying to explain what his position. Um, and then, yeah, he, he said in his interview that he was speaking to him in a nice way. He didn't mean to bother Sonigo. He didn't mean to offend him. He, he, was, he was asked about it, the spicy end to the match and he said... No, it's spicy. <laughs> it wasn't as spicy. <laughs> um, and then in his press conference, he, he, he used the platform to say that he was wrong. He said, I shouldn't have called Sonigo to the net. You know, I think he was saying if he had a problem, he probably should have just spoken to the umpire about it. He apologised again. He said he's spoken to Sonigo in the locker room, drawn a line under it. Um, but yeah, it was it was really unexpected from Nadal. I mean, I I didn't see this, so I didn't I don't know the sounds that Sonigo was making. But just from hearing it, it makes me think, well, that's a bit rich because Nadal's grunt. It's about the timing, though. is It's not about volume or tone. It's about timing, I believe, with the mm, grunt. Like a delayed one. Do yeah. you remember that match we were watching on Longlen with uh, Hugo Gaston and? Was it De Menor? Was it Hugo Gaston and Alex De Menor? Yeah, Where Hugo play, Gaston developed a grunt for one point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did he? But mid, mid, it was, he started the grunt as the ball was passing the net. Mm. It had absolutely nothing to do with contact <laughs> with the tennis ball. Anyway. Yeah. All that is probably secondary, really, to the fact that Nadal played a lot better tonight he's been shaky vulnerable in the first two rounds he was a lot more like it today a lot more aggressive finishing points at the net I think he made a big step Botic van der Zandschulp is next for Rafael Nadal he beat Richard Gasquet didn't he he did I I still can't quite believe Richard Gasquet's in the draw (laughs) he's still a tennis player David anyway well done, uh, David, you watched Alex de Menor defeat uh, plucky, your, your classic plucky Brit, yeah. Liam Brody. Three straight sets earlier on today. You were in the commentary booth with John McEnroe and Todd Woodbridge. Um, we thought you probably really enjoyed the last three games of this match in commentary. Yeah, they were fun because that was the really competitive bit. And uh, Brody extending... Dimonor breaking him back, and it was it, the the most interesting. I'd never commentated with John McEnroe before, and the, the most interesting element of being there with him and Todd Woodbridge was was asking them about nerves. No matter how good you are, how experienced you are, what a champion you are, what you've won, and here we'd got Dimonor who hadn't been broken all match suddenly 
unable to serve properly <laughs> and play properly when he's serving for the match. And and they just said, look, it just it happens to us all. You can't. I don't think you can stop that happening once in a while, and sometimes more than once in a while. No matter what you've won, what and we've seen it. We've seen the Dow Titan in those situations. We've. I can't remember too many, I suppose, with Djokovic necessarily. I've definitely seen it with Federer. You know, seen it with all the great champions. And uh, yeah, just getting their inside on that was really interesting. And and Brody fought his heart out. And uh, he he won't make any jump in the rankings because of the, the lack of points. But just listening earlier on today, uh, on my way in as as preparation, listening back to the interview we did him with him two and two and a bit years ago, where he was struggling to make ends meet, really, and and he was. He was saying there, the pandemic is going to cost careers because there are going to be a lot of us that just won't be able to afford to play anymore. And I'm, I'm just trying to hold on until I can play and earn again. And that autumn, he he qualified for Roland Garros and won 60,000 euros. And that was just life-changing money for him, really. And, and now he's he's earning so much more and he's earned £120,000 as part of this run. Um, I don't know, he's just... Just great to see, and also what a big achievement for for Dimonor. First time he's been to the second week of Wimbledon, and it's opening up. Yeah, he's got Christian Green next. The um, well, the man that was once known as a a clay court specialist, but has now reached back to back round fours at Wimbledon. Is he really? It is. It's officially his most successful slam. That's amazing. <laughs> it's is one of those quirky things so yeah green against Diminor. the other um round of 16 matchup from the bottom half of the draw will be taylor fritz who beat alex mulchan today in three sets and he will face australian jason kubler who beat jack sock in five sets today now i thought could be a slow news day <laughs> today why don't I do a deep dive on Jason Kubler? Who is this guy? The podcast listeners are going to want to know. Unfortunately, other stuff happened. So I'm going to have to squeeze my sort of 18 bullet points of information <laughs> about Jason Kubler into about a minute and a half. I missed match point in Anisimova Goff today because I was on a Sydney Morning Herald uh, <laughs> article about Jason Kubler. Um, Yay. What would you like to know, folks, in the space of a minute and a half? Who is he? He is. <laughs> Jason Kubler is 29 years old. He's Australian. His middle name is Murray. He's a former world number one junior and used to be referred to as the right-handed Rafael Nadal. Um, he has earned more money by reaching round three this week than he has all year and obviously has exceeded that by reaching round four today. He has had five knee surgeries on his right knee and one on his left he has a congenital knee condition he was asked in his press conference today could, could you just confirm Jason I know you've had a lot of surgeries how many knee surgeries it, is it and he sort of looks to the sky thinks about it and goes oh only five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and actually one on the other one <laughs> <laughs> so wonderfully Australian. Yeah, incredible. It's, it's like the way they talk about really dangerous animals. It's, it's only a shark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's won 19 of his last 21 matches. Now, obviously, a, a lot of those are at lower levels, at qualifying. But, you know, winning becomes a habit. That's serious winning. Um, today was just the second five-set match he's played. 
You know, he's been pro for 11 years. He was a set down. He was asked about this today. You know, was there a... Was the, did he feel this run coming? Did he feel this form coming? Was there a moment when you felt like, yeah, I'm onto something here? And he said, you know, I was a set down and break points down in the first round of qualies and I could so easily have gone out. And he said, tennis is just about the tiniest moments and the tiniest margins. And, you know, he said it feels like luck that suddenly a few of those tiny moments have started going in my direction he said maybe it's not luck because they're all accumulating maybe I'm sort of um making my own luck I suppose but this is a guy that in 2017 so five years ago um when he would have been 24 so still still you know six years out from being junior number one and heralded as the next big Australian thing he completely ran out of money and turned to coaching for a few months. And he said that was as close as he got to, to to quitting the sport altogether. He physically had no money to carry on. He said he quite liked coaching, but just not quite as much as he, he liked being on tours when he sort of earned a bit of cash and got the opportunity to go back out on tour. He took it, and here he is in the fourth round of Wimbledon. Amazing. Jason Kubler, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and five sets over Jack Sock. I mean, that's mm. that's. A heck of a result, isn't it? And I, I don't know about you, Matt, but I really enjoyed finding out about Jason Kubler. I Kibler. now know who he is. Yeah, that was really interesting. And um, Alex de Menor spoke glowingly about him in his press conference, saying that he loves it when Kubler's around. He's just, he lifts everyone up. He's, I can see that. He's got a great energy and a, a luscious head of hair. <laughs> what sort? Uh, dense and black he had clearly washed and dried his hair before coming to press and he kept running his hands through it. And it was, it was you know, that floppy hair that's just sort of, you know, could be in a hair advert. Um, that sort of hair. Okay. I did get all my information about Jason Kubler in after all. <laughs> right, we, we better move on to... Uh, we enjoyed it. <laughs> Amanda Anisimova against Coco Goff. Sharpitch, which Matt and I watched pretty much all of, apart from, on my part, match point, because, because I was knee-deep in Jason Kubler. Um but it was mostly a great match. And yet I'm looking at the scoreline, 6-7, for Anisimova. And those second two sets look so one-sided on paper. You know, I, 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 the reason I failed to notice match point was partly because of Jason Kubler, but also partly because it just seemed to come around so suddenly. You know, it, it felt like such a contest until suddenly it was over and... You know, six one third third set. That doesn't sound much of a contest, does it? It sounds like a almost a thrashing for from for Anisimova. Yeah, well, there was an absolutely massive game in the third set with Anisimova serving at three one, and she saved break points. They had back and forth deuce, and it really still felt like the match could turn at that point, and Goff could could go on to win it. But when when Anisimova held there. That, I think, was the probably key moment in the match. But I found it a riveting contest. Mm. I mean, it was it was condition-affected. It was windy. Windy. It was not easy to play. And very inconsistent wind, wasn't it? Sometimes it would just die altogether. Yeah, constantly changing. The players were having to adapt a lot. So that, that did have a bit of an impact on the quality at times, especially in the first set, I think. But what I loved about it is it was a great, match up and I think they would have fun 
rivalry if they can meet more regularly. They obviously mm. uh, met in a junior Grand Slam final at the US Open in 2017, I think. Goff was only 13 years old. Um, and Anissa Nova won that day as well. But what I liked about it was that on the one hand, they've got quite similar strengths and weaknesses in that they both prefer their backhands. They're trying to get by a bit on their forehand side. It can they can leak errors. But then on the other hand, they've got really different strengths and weaknesses. Goff is athletic and a great mover. And those are Anisimova's weaknesses. And Anisimova wants short points and what commentators call first strike tennis. So there was this constant push and pull between the sort of rallies that Goff wanted versus the rallies that Anisimova wanted. And I just found it fascinating. And we joined the match at three love Goff in the first set. Honestly, for pretty much the rest of the match, Anisimova was the better player. She played a really bad game when she went up a break in the first set to get it back on serve. And then she played a, a sort of impossible to understand tie break where she was brilliant 4-1 up and then lost six points in a row and honestly I felt at that point it was going to take a huge mental effort for Anisimova to recover after losing that first set because I was expecting a drop off yeah big time and the opposite happened she raised her game she was pinning Goff back with really deep returns she was brilliant and I haven't seen her play that much on grass uh, before but I really think it's a surface which suits just the trajectory mm. of her shots they skid through the court and, um, and that that trajectory feels unique to me there's something about the flight of her ball I can't put my finger on it but it's different it's why to she's top else. of the backhand list well it's like she's pulling back a bow and arrow with that backhand and letting it go and it's, it's just so smooth yeah. it's so precise and clean and smooth it's, it's, it's joy. It is an absolute joy. <laughs> the match always felt on Anisimova's racket to me. And I think Goff took that opening set tie break because she had a mental edge. Mm. But then, I don't know, Anisimova found something else mentally. It was it was very impressive. That And that's fourth round, minimum fourth round of all three slams so far this year. That's quite significant for Anisimova, I think, because I think of her as patchy you know capable of brilliant things but patchy and unreliable so to be building that kind of consistency and to be someone that's clearly able to peak at the big events i think is significant it's a big big win she will face harmony tan oh that's interesting in round it? number four tan beat katie bolter 6-1-6-1 in less than an hour first match of the day on court two this morning biggest match of both their lives by far um, and frankly, Katie Bolter just never overcame her nerves today. She said afterwards she pretty much just hit the wall mentally and physically and she just couldn't get her body going today. She she kept on hitting her legs, didn't she? She kept on jiggling around, you know, trying to get something going, but she she couldn't shake it out of herself. And look, the matchup was tricky for her. She did not enjoy the slicing and dicing of Harmony Tan. And on a good day, without the nerves, she still could have lost this match because the matchup is so bad. But she didn't do the things that she was in control of. She served badly. I think she had quite a few sort of mentally poor moments where, you know, bad shot selection and um, bad 
bad tactical choices, perhaps, you know, kind of playing into to Harmony Tan's strengths. And look, a lot of people were angling after the, were you annoyed that you were scheduled first on court two um, angle after the match? And Katie Bolter wasn't having any of it. She very gently and very elegantly said, absolutely not. That is not why I lost today. It was a great atmosphere out on court two. Iga Svantec, the world number one, is out on court number one. There is absolutely no way that I should get billing ahead of her. You know, yes, if there'd been weaker matches, maybe that match could have been elevated. But she certainly wasn't aggrieved about it. Just on the hitting of the wall. I mean, with her grandmother dying the other day and all the emotion that came with getting over the line and winning that match. You know, you can understand why she hit the wall, but I agree with you. Harmony Tan's game is just a nightmare for a lot of these players on grass. And and Matt's a Harmony fan. A Harmony stan. Oh. <laughs> I feel like I owe her an apology because I watched her in Billie Jean King Cup a few months ago now and she got blown off the court by Camilla Giorgi and it was on clay in Italy and I made a very general assumption about Harmony Tan and who she was as a tennis player. And I was so wrong because I really like her game. And I asked her about it in the press conference today. And I said, you know, you've got a different sort of game. Did you ever have trouble with coaches not believing in you when you were younger? You know, did they ever try to change the way you played? And... In English, she guess she just gave an answer that um, yes, absolutely, she had that problem, and it wasn't until Natalie Tozia saw her when she was eighteen. She said she was the first person to believe in me, and her eyes lit up just at the mention of Natalie Tozia. And then I stayed for the French portion of the press conference, and they really sort of probed and asked her more about this this topic. And she told this amazing story about how. Because no one believed in her tennis, she carried on with her studies longer than she thought she would. And then when she was 18, she needed a coach and they rang Natalie Tozia. And she said she answered, which was amazing to begin with. Um, And then Tozia said, right, well, come down to the south of France and I'll take a look at your game and we'll work on it together. And she said they got in transport that, that day drove down to the south of France. She said, I was dead when I got there. I was so tired. And then she just remembered so fondly these 10 days she had with Tozia. And it was like, it just gave her the belief, you know, someone of Tozia's standing, believing in her. She's still her coach to this day. It was just a lovely, lovely story. And there's there's no sense of revenge about the way she plays. She's not trying to prove a load of people wrong. She's you know, which would kind of be understandable if she was, but she's just going out there expressing herself through her tennis and I think she's been absolutely brilliant this tournament and I think I think it's gonna be a really interesting matchup against Anisimova. Anisimova's shot tolerance and patience mm. is gonna to have to be perfect. Um and <laughs> it was quite funny in the Anisimova press conference she was asked about whether she'd watched um, Harmony Tan versus Serena back in back in the first round and what she made of it and I'm sure you know they were probably hoping for some nice match analysis or something. He said, "Yeah, I, I saw it. I was in the dog and fox, <laughs> and oh, it was Imperial style." Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not sure she watched it that closely. Um, she didn't have great tactical analysis to give. 
I love that. And yeah, I'm 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 here for Tan against mm. uh, against Anisimova. The other uh, round of sixteen matchup in the women's that was set up today, a yes please to Halep against Bedosa, which is what Ooh. we'll be getting in a couple of days' time. Halep is now the only former champion left in this women's draw. She beat Magdalena Freck today in two sets. Oh, I did a bit of an accent there on Freck. I don't know if I'm, I'm not not sure about that. Anyway, uh, yeah, she Can't faces B- <laughs> Bedosa, who upset two-time former champion Petra Kvitova today. Two sets. Goodness me, she was pumped. It was sort of it was vintage Bedosa actually. In the end, she went down an early break, and Kvitova looked like she was doing you know inform Kvitova on grass things. And Bedosa really found something. She was doing that, you know, strong-legged, low centre of gravity, looking like she's crouching on the court, Kerbery, Radvanskery thing. And, yeah, it was really commanding tennis and her box were pumped, weren't they? It was all, it was all the good Bedosa mm. feels. And it reminded me that it's been quite a while since we've, we've seen those good Bedosa feels. Completely agree. I think this was the best I've seen Bedosa in quite a few months, really. And she said in her press conference that she wanted the competitive Bedosa back. She talked about herself in in the third person like that. And um, that was it, because she's had some losses. Jodie Burroughs the other week, there was one against Halep in, in Madrid, where... I don't want to say she's gone down without a fight because that sounds like she's sort of not giving her all. I don't think that's ever been the case. But heavy she, defeat, though. Heavy defeat. She just hasn't been able to make matches that competitive um, quite recently. And as you said, she went an early breakdown and she fought so hard and the hitting was so good and so intense. And I think, in a way, grass, which probably would be her weakest surface, even though she also reached round four here last year. I just think having some lower expectations has, has probably helped her. She's spoken mm. about that, hasn't she? And, you know, through the clay court season, people were looking at her to be a challenger to Sviontek. And there was internal pressure. There was external pressure. It was all, it was all just a lot. And I just think being a little bit more under the radar, if being on centre court against Petra Kvitova is under the radar, but just a little bit has, has kind of helped her a bit this tournament and she's really settled into it and yeah it's it's great to see yeah it is I've missed that Paola Bedosa mm. uh, and it all went wrong after I started picking her to win everything <laughs> so I'm staying well clear don't care who wins Bedosa Halep well, just, st- just make it fun please you've stopped putting pressure on yourself you said yes. Catherine and that's what happens <laughs> yes yes you're welcome Paola <laughs> tomorrow's order of play starts on centre at 1.30pm, Heather Watson against Julian Niemeyer. My goodness me, the, there's going to be some tension out there for that, isn't there? That's just so huge for both of them. So huge. Then Yannick Sinner faces Carlos Alcaraz. And Novak Djokovic up against Tim Van Reithoven on centre court. He must just feel like he's dreaming, yeah. Tim Van Reithoven. I love it. That's what makes him dangerous. Absolutely. I'm commentating on that. Mm. Uh, Tatiana Maria up against Yelena Ostapenko, first on court one. Then Cam Norrie up against Tommy Paul. Elisa Mertens versus Ansjabur is 
the last match on court number one. Uh, Buzkova Garcia, Goffan Tiafo, and then Jamie Murray, Venus Williams, Genus, if you like. I don't really like that. I don't know why I keep saying it. <laughs> uh, they're taking on Johnny O'Mara and Alicia Barnett, uh, the British pairing. Uh, that is the final match on court two. Uh, there must be a couple of other singles matches somewhere that I'm looking for. Goodness me, the lo- lot of juniors. The juniors has definitely started, folks. I think that might be it. Are we suddenly at that stage of the tournament where all so. the tennis disappears? Yep. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, oh, S. Johnson. No, Steve Johnson's lost, hasn't he? That is a... That's- is it, that's girls singles, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a terrible note to end our one thousand show on. <laughs> Total misinformation about Steve Johnson. Oh, that'll pull the punters in. I can't believe we've done one thousand of these shows. Here's to one thousand more. Um, wow. It's a lot to take in. And on a day, no less, when David was described by Mr. John McEnroe as the king of podcasts, brackets, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, or something. (laughs) Or something. (laughs) He doesn't know what one is. (laughs) But he's going to be a listener one day. Yes. Once he figures out what a podcast is, he's going to be all over this. Uh, We have, as always, Willow, our lovely Wimbledon mascot. Hello, Willow. Willow. We have Darwin. Darwin. David's yours. uh, Well... He is yours, Darwin, but Darwin's yours, David. Yeah. Mm. Didn't go well today, Darwin. Sorry. Uh, Carter is my mascot, and we scored points with Isla Tomljanovic. And let's face it, Carter, we needed him. So (laughs) thank you very much, Isla. And the dearly departed Gerald the Cat uh, did well today with Matt and Elise Cornet. Billie Jean is asleep on my shoulder as we speak. She's been low-key snoring for the last hour. That's... uh, that's her experience of our 1,000th show. <laughs> she is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss, and she can't believe her luck. Kyle Weingartner and Chris Albert Lee are our executive producers and top blokes. And we have special episode 1,000 shout-outs, Matt. Yes, well, let me first of all say that the Alexandria saga continues. Oh, right. What's happened now? (laughs) Because uh, Robert McNichol, the Wimbledon librarian, got in touch. Good old Robert. To tell me that as a Scotsman, I feel the need to tell you that there's also an Alexandria in Scotland. It's quite near Glasgow, and it's the hometown of the wheelchair player Gordon Reid. Oh. And then he also adds, and also my mum. I'm sure she'd enjoy a bonus shout out on the podcast. So there you go. Hello, Robert's mum. Did he name his mum? Uh, Lilius. Oh. Mm. Hello, Lilius. So we have a tug of war over the Alexandria. Yes. So if, if, I think it was Mike, if Mike could clear up where he is actually from, <laughs> then we might be able to end this. Anyway, on to today's shout-outs. We have Anna Keating in Gloucestershire. Right, Anna. Hello, Anna. Gloucestershire. Like Ronan Keating. Yeah. Yeah, whose he- son is entered into Love Island. I've been, me- I've been meaning to tell you this all day, Catherine, what? and then tennis drama happened. I'm glad it what? did. Mm. Then we Which one? To talk about this. one of the um, is he one of the Newcastle Moor ones? He sure is. Which one? Jack. Uh, Jack. Does oh, anybody dear, else not see. care? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Only Keating owns a, owns a coffee shop down the road from me here in Putney. Right. 
Mm. Gloucestershire is not too far from me. I like it down there. Anyway, anyway. Anna. Anna, thanks ever so much. Thank you very friend. much. We also have uh, Stephen Still, who is in Buffalo, New York, just like our good friend Andrew. Yeah, home of the Bills, Josh Ooh, Allen. Hang on, I didn't mention Jessica Bagula losing today. That's reminded me. Mm. Jessica Bagula lost today. Right. That is right, yes, to Petra Martic. Mm. Yeah, she'll now play, Martic will now play Rabakina, who beat Zhong Chinwen. Right. So thank you. Who's the shout-out from? Stephen. Thank you, Stephen, for being from Buffalo. To remind us reminding of that. me that I missed out crucial Jessica Bagula news. And Stephen says, I once sat next to Andy Roddick on a small jet and I was too starstruck to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Right. And final shout-out is Emily Price, who is in Wodonga, Australia. Oh. All right, Emily. That's about 300 kilometres north of Melbourne, she says, at the at the top of Victoria. And she says, Simon Briggs is flying the tennis podcast flag. I was chatting to him about four or five years ago at a pub during the Australian Open, and he suggested I tune in. Well He's got your approach, done, Matt, Simon. of converting people one by one. Yeah. They all count. Never fails. <laughs> they add up. <laughs> Two, six. Oh, Emily, love that. Mm-hmm. Emily, Simon, hello. Hello to all our lovely listeners. You make this show and uh, in particular, hello to our friends that literally do make this show, financially speaking anyway. Um, And in spirit, of course, David's given me a look. Um, Oh, quite in agreement. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd better wrap this thing up now, shouldn't I? It's, uh, It's been a bumper show, folks, but it's our 1000th and quite a lot has happened. And I simply, uh, for vanity reasons, could not let go of my Jason Kubler research. So hope you've enjoyed all the many, many gifts that our thousandth show has had to offer. If you've enjoyed it, tell your friends, leave us an Apple podcast review, sign up to the newsletter. That's all free. The link is in our show notes. And if you would like to become a friend, the link to do that is in our show notes as well. Thank you for listening. We'll speak to you on Middle Sunday. 